Hey guys, welcome back to the Protecting Paradise podcast. Not only are we kicking off a new season, but we are also recording our first ever episode in the new Bobo 89.1 radio show here at DMS Broadcasting. And we are unbelievably grateful for the opportunity to bring this show to you every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. Nope, that's not, yo, yeah, it is p.m. <laughs> now, let's get into our very, very, very cool topic today. Everyone on island loves our iconic blue dinosaurs. Once upon a time, you could see them all over the island, but these days they may be a little more rare to see, but boy, do they have a comeback story. So I'm so excited to start off the season by chatting to Luke Harding from the Blue Iguana Conservation Program at the Botanic Park. Hey, Luke. Hey, welcome. <laughs> How you doing? I'm really well. Thank you for having me here. Oh, thank you for coming. Luke has been at BIC for almost four years now, which has flown by, and you have a vast history with working with animals, don't you? I've seen on your LinkedIn, because I did stalk you, uh, that you've worked at the Zoological Society of London and the Pageanton Zoo. How fortunate are we that you dropped into our laps? Yeah, so let's start off by getting to know you a bit more. How did you end end, end yourself up here? Well, that's quite the introduction. Um, Yeah, I've been really fortunate. I was obviously born in the UK, Um, And then, yeah, I have a passion for wildlife and animals. And as you touched on, I've been really fortunate to work with animals my whole adult life, my Mm -hmm. whole working career, which is really exciting, Um, based mainly within zoological institutions in Europe. Um, So that included Painton Zoo, Chester Zoo, um, lots of zoos that I was fortunate to be at. But mixed in with that, I've been really lucky as well to travel the world and work Mm. with reptiles. So I was working with crocodiles in my teens in India. Uh, I've been to South Africa, the Philippines. I got to achieve a childhood dream and work with Komodo dragons in Indonesia for a bit on surveys Um, and more recently Vietnam, Madagascar. So been really fortunate. And then, yeah, just before, um, well, it turned out before COVID, but little did we know it then. Mm. It was kind of 2018. The opportunity came up to have a chance to come here and manage the Blue Iguana Recovery Program that it was at the time into a new phase of its efforts. Mm. And it was just too exciting to turn down. The Blue Eye Guana is iconic, not just here on the island, but internationally renowned, and its recovery story is famous. So it was too good an opportunity not to come here, and the island's beautiful, and it was, and it turned out to be the best decision ever made because little did we know a year and a half later, COVID hit, and we got locked down in paradise, which was still tough, but better than being locked down in London for sure. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you've been everywhere and you've done tons. So reptiles are your favorite then. That's the trend I'm getting here. Well, reptiles and amphibians. Reptile, so, okay. Um, yeah, but I'm into the weird and wonderful, the things that people kind of overlook, really. Mm-hmm. Sometimes less charismatic, but the advantage is they only live in tropical places and mm-hmm. so don't find me in cold weather, which is, <laughs> which is great <laughs> and what I prefer. So. That's great thinking. So if anyone didn't know, blue iguanas are endemic to the Cayman Islands, correct? Correct, yep. Okay, great. And they can't be found anywhere else in the world. So we have protected those species uh, since they first started their decline. So let's talk a little bit about, we'll start at the very beginning of how and why the BIC program kind of began. It was originally called the Blue Iguana Recovery Program, I think back in the day. Um, And in 2001, it was estimated that there are fewer than 30 individuals in the wild and therefore listed as critically endangered species. So what was the cause of such a great decline? 
Yeah, so the history of the blue iguana is a really interesting example of kind of not really paying attention to something until it's nearly gone. Mm, There's okay. reports of blue iguanas now and again, but they don't really appear in literature. There's a couple of mentions that no one really hunts blue lizards anymore, that there's not mm. enough of them. And that's going back as early as the first records of them. But it was really in the 1990s that our project founder, Fred Burton, mm -hmm. and a few other interested people started paying attention to the fact that the blue iguanas are still here, but that they don't look like they're a very healthy population. At that time, they were kind of estimating probably 150 kind of around that sort of loose term and number was left. But by the time that formal action started in 2001, 2002, um, the wild population survey showed that was less than 25 wild animals still remaining. They were functionally extinct. And by all account and purposes, people believed they were gone. They were too far gone to be saved. Um, but we were really fortunate the stubbornness of our project founder, Fred, <laughs> yeah. and the remarkable partnership that was formed at that time as the Blue Iguana Recovery Program, consisting of on-island partners like the Queen Elizabeth Botanical Park, the Department of Environment, the National Trust, which mm -hmm. I work for that mm -hmm. run the project, but also our international partners, San Diego Zoo, multiple universities and wildlife conservation society mm -hmm. veterinary team formed that and 31 years later are still here wow. as a partnership with a lot of the founders still involved so that remarkable recovery meant that there was effort there what drove the iguanas to those low level of numbers it's hard to be 100 percent sure over the years the different factors that might have caused them to dwindle right of course but unarguably it probably links back to the arrival of people on the island and the the issues and challenges that we bring with us, whether that be invasive species, um, urbanization and development of areas, lack of habitat. Um, there's lots of threats that mm -hmm. have drove them there, but we didn't have many iguanas, 25 left to study. So no. it was hard to see what those were. And the decision was that they were just too precious to leave the remaining animals out there. Mm. And that a very difficult decision was made that an insurance captive population needed to be Formed, and that's how the Blue Iguana Recovery Program started. Um, and through its cons remarkable conservation efforts, really, it's probably one of the world's most successful reptile projects, if not the world's most successful reptile project in the term of numbers. So, yeah, from 2002, less than 25. And in 2018, we released the 1,000th Blue Iguana back to the wild, which is, in number terms, it is truly remarkable. So Unbelievably um, remarkable. It's exciting. It's a rich history of learning as they kind of went along. The program has really been a world leader on the stage for the rock iguana conservation and the mm -hmm. challenges that come with that. And people for a long time looked to this project as an example and mm. in many ways still do. So exciting history. Um, if you haven't read The Little Blue Book, that's a great book written by the project founder, Fred Burton. Really exciting gives you some of the insight of the tales that went into those years but really okay. exciting project. the little blue book i will put that in the resources underneath this episode so people can read it i actually don't think i've read it so it's that's great fred. my reading <laughs> fred writes it in a beautiful way kind of like as a diary so you not only get in the history of the program but you're getting kind of that insight to what things felt like and the characters of the iguanas so really nice simple read but i recommend it to anyone who's interested in the history of the program Okay, great. Well, like you said, this is an incredible comeback story, and it makes me unbelievably hopeful for the future and that that happens in the Cayman Islands, that we lead by example in this field, and that's so amazing. So can you tell us a bit more? I saw on the National Trust website that now you're working in phase two, right? So what exactly is phase two? So phase two is kind of, so when the program started back when the recovery program began, um, there was this, what seemed at the time as this overambitious, 
almost unachievable goal of a thousand mm-hmm. iguanas released mm-hmm. in the wild and living and breeding. Um, and that kind of seemed impossible. And then in 2018, when that thousand iguana was met, it was a great opportunity for us to come together again as a partnership and develop an action plan for the next five years. So okay. now we've hit that target that at one point seemed impossible. What does the future look mm-hmm. like and where are we at with that? So the program achieved that remarkable milestone. But really, once you strip that back and take away that achievement for a moment and look at it wider, what we did was buy time for the species. Mm. Although it's remarkable, it didn't solve the problems. All the threats and pressures and challenges that drove the blue iguanas to extinction are likely still here, if Mm -hmm. not worse Worse. than they were the first time around. Mm. So why a remarkable achievement? What we really did was buy time. We've give ourselves a second opportunity. There's a wild population again out there. Mm -hmm. It's breeding, but it still needs support. If left alone, the species would once again decline and likely go extinct. They are still what we would call conservation dependent. So um, we need to continue to do more. And that transition, if you will, from recovering the species, Mm -hmm. from getting just numbers back out there, we move into trying to conserve them now for the long term. And that's kind of what we see as phase two. So technically recovery isn't over. But we really wanted to make sure, and that's one of the reasons the program's name changed to Blue Iguana Conservation, was to celebrate that milestone. A thousand iguanas from where they were should not go unnoticed. Mm -hmm. But we also wanted to change people's mindsets from a recovery, which seems like something with a timeline, to conservation, which is going to be a lifelong commitment. Lifelong. Future generations are going to have, in some shape or form, a responsibility to make sure that Blue Iguanas are still there for their future generations just as we're doing. So it will change. It may not be a captive program. There might be wild ones, but they're always going to need help and support on this island in Mm -hmm. some shape or form to Mm -hmm. make sure that they're there for future generations. So I guess that leads perfectly into my next question of how many do you actually currently have? Um, Well, I guess not the ones released that you release, but maybe the ones you have right now in your captive program. Yeah, so we have around 300 iguanas in our captive program at the moment. So our numbers fluctuate and change depending Mm -hmm. on our breeding requirements. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we can go down to as low as 70 plus animals, the adults. And sometimes we can go up at the moment where we're slower on the release front and we have lots of iguanas. Um, Like I said, we've released over a thousand iguanas now, but a wild population is really hard to calculate because Mm -hmm. the protected Mm -hmm. areas where we do our releases are really small and we are seeing changes in the population numbers there. But more research is needed to see whether that is because those animals are getting bigger, Mm -hmm. older and moving out from those protected areas of a land Mm. or whether there's threats and pressures. What we know is that we're seeing changes, but what we've got to concentrate on what the next three to five years is going to be is about filling the data gaps. So okay. no longer do we have to guess what's happening, what they're doing, where they prefer to breed, how the babies are doing and what the threats are. Mm. After the next five years, hopefully we'll have the data to back that up. So because mm. once we know what's happening and we know the requirements that these animals need, then we can better focus our conservation efforts to make sure that we have actions and we can do the right things to make sure that they have a future. That's awesome. So you mentioned your small reserves. I'm going to skip a little forward a little bit. So I read Salina Reserve and the Collier, uh, sorry, Collier's Wilderness Reserve. Are those fenced or are those just pieces of land that you guys have bought? Yeah. So when we say protected areas, mm-hmm. often it's just that we own the land or okay. ours and crown. So the land is owned and protected in the sense it's owned, but they are not fenced. No area. Mm-hmm. The only place that there's a blue iguana in a fenced or a truly protected area is them at the 
Blue Iguana Conservation Facility. Right. Even the Queen Elizabeth Botanical Park, which is another site that's kind of semi-wild. We mm-hmm. do release iguanas there, but they're heavily habituated and it's man-made. So mm-hmm. it's not particularly a true representation of their wild for them, mm-hmm. but it's an important site for us. But even that's not fenced. So when we look to some of the challenges of invasive species mm-hmm. and introduce predators like dogs and cats, mm-hmm. they all still happen in the Botanic Park as well. So the only place that they're truly protected at the moment is that of the conservation facility, which is what makes our work so important. So important. So I was there recently for, uh, I think you graduated some new Blue Iguana Guardians, and that was amazing. And I hadn't been there since I was a kid. And looking around, you guys have expanded so much. It's so beautiful. It's so well maintained. If you haven't been, you have to go because a tour is, just do it. It's so beautiful. Um, And one thing I noticed uh, is they must be amazing animals to work with because I met some characters and I'm going to call them characters because each of them had their own sass, their own little pizzazz. And so what is it like to work every day with them? Yeah, it's a real privilege to work with a species. And I think what's really interesting about the rock iguanas is they are so full of character, like mm-hmm. like you say, because reptiles suffer sometimes for not being very charismatic. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I mention animals to you, you know, if you see a giant panda, it really can be asleep and everybody thinks it's cute, it's adorable, <laughs> we should save it. You know, they, the yeah. megafauna that people understand, tigers, some species sell themselves, reptiles often don't. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have mis preconceived conceptions and here yes. on the island you know the invasive green iguanas while i as a reptile nerd think that they're beautiful as mm-hmm. well for a lot of people they don't and they see them as pests yeah and it's caused kind of a response that they don't like iguanas that it's caused this annoyance with iguanas they think they're ugly and that's kind of tipped over to our blue iguanas so mm. it's really important that our facilities there that people can come and engage and that our staff and as you've been you'll know they do and really engage people with the difference um that these iguanas have and yeah they're all really unique characters we have some that like sleeping in mm-hmm. it's really hard not to anthropomorphize them so put human emotions on them of course but it's impossible when you work with them every day we yeah. do um, and they are such characters we have a wild male who lives around that area called casanova and he's everybody's <laughs> favorite iguana so yeah it's a really great experience and we do offer guided tours, but we now have the option as well that you can self-guide. So at the moment, Thursday through Sunday, you can come in for just $5, oh, which is remarkable. Anybody, and you can spend as long as you want at the facility. Come back a couple of times during your visit to the Botanic Park and come in there. And that's really important because that's how we raise funds for the program is you pay to come to the facility. But it means that the facility is now open to everybody. There's wow. no excuse. You can't buy a coffee on this island for $5. So there's no <laughs> excuse not to come and support the program. But the great thing as well is you're not on a time limit. Mm-hmm. So you can spend time watching them in their semi-wild habitats, climbing around, interacting. And just a couple, you know, being able to spend 10, 15 minutes, you'll start really seeing all the different personalities mm-hmm. as you walk around. And that's really exciting. It's a nice thing that we're able to offer now. And we're excited to open the doors to the new facility and let people Spend more time with the blues. That's amazing. Yeah, they really blew me away with the character differences. I just think it's wonderful that way. Um, and I guess if you don't want to just walk around, you can also volunteer. Is that a thing? I, I, I do believe I heard something about volunteering. So if somebody was wanting to volunteer, but maybe doesn't know what kind of work that they'll be, you know, whether it's facility maintenance, whether it's feeding or how, how would all that work how, for somebody who wants to sign yeah, up? So we welcome volunteers. We always have through the history of the program. Our program was founded really on people's generosity and volunteers. So I just wanted to give a shout out to everybody who's ever volunteered because mm-hmm. that's not just saying it because we're here. We're, our program is been as successful as not just because of the individuals within the partnership, but also 
all the incredible and the list is too long to even publish volunteer support that it's received but recently we upgraded our volunteer program refreshed it mm-hmm. to be blue iguana guardians mm-hmm. um, and that's really exciting because what we do now is we induct volunteers on training days and we teach all aspects of our program so you get to learn about the care and husbandry of the iguanas mm-hmm. at the facility but you get to come and join us and see what field research looks like mm-hmm. the records and research that we do behind the scenes wow. um, and all the important aspects of the program because what we now do is we don't just set volunteers at the facility to help with the iguanas but we have volunteers to help with everything from architects who help with drawings from social media talented people a lot of youngsters helping us with social media posts and blogs and we want skills from any skill set if you've got a skill set i promise you there's a way that it can help the program and our volunteers aren't committed to set amount of time some do an hour a week some do an hour a month some do a day we're really flexible on it as well some of our volunteers work with us then go off island for a while to work or to study and then come Mm. and see us when they're back and some are overseas ones and help us from abroad or come out after storms and hurricanes so what we do now is training day and then three months or whatever the commitment that people have signed up to and then once you've done that you would graduate as a blue iguana guardian um, and you become part of our blue army and (laughs) we're really reliant on them we've 75 people now have been through the program we will achieve 100 by the end of this year Um, it's incredible we're really proud of it and they are an extended part of our team and we wouldn't be able to do it without them so i'd encourage anyone interested get in touch follow our social media channels Mm -hmm. we're always giving shout outs there i think the next training day or chance to join this program will be the last weekend of november oh great this year will be the final one for this year but we do them every couple of months or when the demand's there so do get in touch um and if you want to just discuss what's available like say it's no pressure volunteering but it makes a huge difference and it can be done from the comfort of your home or you can come out and geek out with us all and look Hmm? after the iguanas so kind of available for everyone so you mentioned a term in there called husbandry and i don't know how many people don't know what husbandry might mean um because obviously to get numbers up you had to have a lot of breeding a lot of mingling right so what exactly is husbandry for somebody oh, who might not me be sure with my terms apologies um, <laughs> no it's okay so husbandry is the care if you will of the iguanas mm-hmm. so a lot of people but it goes far beyond that you know feeding and watering our animals if you will feeding mm-hmm. and giving them food and water is the basics mm-hmm. but actually the care of the iguanas goes a lot more than that you know they're very specialized diets it needs mm-hmm. a lot of variety you've visited maintaining their habitats is a lot of work mm-hmm. um, we have to make sure that there's enough shade because reptiles don't want to be sat out in full sun but not too much to maintain it we have to mix them for breeding to make sure that they've got the correct retreats so that's somewhere where they go to bed and sleep they need these safe spaces so there's a lot that more science and data that goes into keeping these animals than just putting them in a cage so husbandry kind of includes all that that's what we call all the work we do with our captive animals before that they're released and that changes for us because one thing important to say is that every iguana at the blue iguana facility will go out to the wild at some Mm. point even they were bred or if they were brought in, which there isn't very many now that's the case, but any founders that were in will go out. So every animal goes back to the wild or out to the wild. They just come in to represent the genetics with us. So that changes how we look after them because we don't want them to become pets. And well, they're not pets. And we have to be really careful because the iguanas aren't stupid either. So they soon learn <laughs> individuals and food buckets and what time we feed. <laughs> so we have to be very creative with our routines to make sure we don't let people feed them. We're very hands off because ultimately these animals have got to go out to the wild. And if they're associating people with food, then that lessens their chances and increases their risk of something happening to them in the wild. So we're very sensible with our facility, um, but we um, have to be really cautious of things like that. Wow. Yeah, that definitely makes sense because 
It's so interesting. I don't know how many people know that animals don't regulate their own body heat and that they really do rely on their habitat to provide them with, you know, the right... Oh, I can be warm here and I can cool and off I think over it's really here. important with reptiles because they're ectotherms, because they need the sun to warm up, to energize. Mm-hmm. There's been a misconception for a long time that reptiles are quite basic species and there's another one that you can't overheat one. I promise you, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, just like anything, if you actually look at an iguana's day, it spends more of its day cooling down than it does warming up. It'll sit out in the sun for 10, 15 minutes and that is enough in full sun to be nice and warm and go. And then actually, if you watch them, they spend most of their day cooling down. They're in the shade or moving, eating and around. So it's kind of a misconception, really. And our iguanas are creatures of routine and habit. They know a time that they wake up, they bask, Ah. they eat their breakfast, they move around, they hide for midday, they come back out, they eat again, they have their little chill spots, (laughs) calm down and then go to bed. And you can map a clock by where they'll be and what they're on. They all sleep in the same place. They have their same retreats that they like to sit on, their branches they like. For most part, you'll know where the iguanas will be at what time of the day. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's so fascinating. They're so freaking cool. That's so cool. Okay. Well, for non-volunteers, I saw on my social media that you have something called Iguana now. So could you tell us about that? That's It's a mobile app for science citizens, is that's what you're calling it, right? Yeah, correct. So it's a citizen science mobile app, and the idea is to empower people to be able to help us with our research. Awesome. Um, so basically, Iguana is a mobile app where you can submit sightings on any iguana species on any of our three islands. So if you see a green iguana, a blue iguana, or a sister island rock iguana, we want you to snap a picture of that iguana and send that into us. And that data is super important to us because it allows us, every time I'm wandering around the island, obviously it's quite a small island, so most people see me know that I work with the iguanas, <laughs> and it's always, I'll have a look at this I saw, and they're showing us pictures of iguanas. And I'm like, please send me that. And that email never arrives. So the hope is that ah. all these people, everybody's on their phone. So if you can take a picture of any iguana species and send it in, all that data will send us all the GPS locations of where those iguanas are. And then over time, we can start to gain a picture wow. of where the iguanas are living, where they're showing up, where areas of lots of green iguanas, lots of blue iguanas, and we can get all that data. So which if we were to do that ourselves would take us huge amounts of time and be impossible and you wouldn't see them because often we'll get a report of a blue iguana on a road and by the time we get there the iguana's even dead and been hit or it's gone so we don't see it so it's our way to get people involved as well because people think science is beyond them it really isn't anybody any age can take a picture submit it and you're doing science the other advantage is on the sister islands in particular the data will let us know that we've got a chance on the sister islands to not allow green iguanas to establish and mm-hmm. become the issue they have. Um, but one of the challenges is often the images or an alert or a notification about a green iguana takes so long to get to the, the teams that are involved in removing them that by the time they get told about it, the green iguana's gone. The nice mm. thing with this app is it's real time. If you send a green iguana image in, uh, we will have the GPS coordinates in real time. Wow. So if it's on the sister islands, then we can go out immediately and respond. Wow. So as an invasive species control, mm-hmm. not so much here because green iguanas are everywhere, mm-hmm. but on the sister <laughs> islands, it's essential. But mm-hmm. uh, mainly it's about raising awareness and getting people excited again. Like I think it's pretty cool that you can contribute to what will be publication, science, data, so and conserving cool. the iguanas by literally just sending in a picture. It's mm-hmm. that simple. Mm-hmm. You need any training. You just need to be able to press photos on your phone, mm-hmm. submit it, and it's good. And the app's completely unusable, so we do ask for email address and names but that's and phone number, but that's just a policy. We don't send anything out. You don't get contacted unless you contact. 
unless you submit. So don't be scared to sign up. Just have it on your phone. It's free to download, free to use. Um, it gives you contact details, but you'll never be contacted unless there's an emergency and we need people. And everyone should be using it. Anyone who lives here, anyone who's visiting, the more people that use it, the more data we get submitted, the better yeah, we can do. Yeah, the clearer the picture for you. But it's super exciting because I love taking pictures of iguanas and this gives us <laughs> it to do. And everyone's sat with so many pictures. So if you're sat at home with lots of pictures of iguanas on your phone, it's not too late. You don't have to take it in real time. Just send those pictures in. Um, and it's super interesting. That is so fabulous. So this whole project like this, I know at the beginning you mentioned some people that helped to get the entire thing, you know, back in time, 2001, to help get this all going. But a, a project like this to run a facility like you have takes money. So like, what kind of funding do you get for this? Yeah, so we are under the National Trust. So mm -hmm. the National Trust helps support through its work, the Blue Iguanas, but a lot of our Funding comes from our admissions. So when you pay to come on a tour or mm -hmm. you pay to come in to the Blue Iguana facility, um, that helps go directly to the iguanas. So Good. to donations. We also have things like our adoptions. Mm. So you can adopt an iguana. There's different categories. You can do it from $50 right up to 5000 And it depends what you get. But you get to name that iguana. You get updates on it. And that money directly goes to allowing us to do the work that we do. Um, and the large part of our money comes from the writing of scientific grants. So okay. we look for grants that allow us to conduct our research and our work. Um, and they usually come with a lot of work attached to them, but they help bring in the funds that are required. Uh, and then generosity and donations shouldn't be underestimated. We, there's been some remarkable generosity we see all the time that people donate to the cause and to our projects. Or when we put a shout out for things, people give up their time. And that's fantastic and makes a big difference to being able to do everything that we've been talking about so far. Wow, so it really does take a village, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. You can't do it on your own. And collaboration's key. And when mm -hmm. we say collaboration, people often think we talk about organizations, so us working with government or DOE, et cetera. But actually, it's collaboration far wider than that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Blue Iguana doesn't have a future on this island unless the people who live on this island want the Blue Iguanas there. And that often gets forgotten, you know? Exactly. Eventually, the animals will have to expand. We'll need more space in our protected areas. And it will be people's private property and backyards. And mm -hmm. that's what we want to do. And that's why our work's so important. And opportunities like today with mm -hmm. yourself is really important because there's a lot of misconceptions still mm -hmm. about iguanas. Um, we did a, a chat with people recently. We asked over 100 people whether they would want a Blue Iguana in their garden. Um, and every single one of them said no. And every what? single one of them, when asked, listed behaviors that are that of a green iguana and not the blues. So people talk about them defecating in their, uh, making a mess in their pools, eating their plants, that everything would be dead and gone. You visited the blue iguana facility, yeah. it's green. The iguanas are too lazy to be eating things off the tree. They wait for them <laughs> to fall. So um, it's about just rechanging people's mindsets that iguanas aren't pests and that actually they can coexist really well. There's minimal disease risk for them to be able to pass to people. You do need to be careful with your pet dogs and cats that mm -hmm. you don't get them killed, but eventually the two can work together. So um, yeah, I think it shows the importance that there's still a lot of work to do. And all our focus or a lot of our focus has been on making people understand the difference between the two iguanas, like how to tell them apart. But so often we've forgotten about the difference that one is a pest species mm -hmm. and causes issues to the ecosystem here in people's gardens, their farms. But the other one was bred to be here. It's meant to be here. Exactly. It's adapted to probably more here than most of us that are here. So it's yeah. great that um, we can engage people and show them the facility and that you can live alongside blue iguanas because in the future that's going to be a reality more and more iguanas if we do our jobs and it works mm -hmm. will be on roads will be mm -hmm. in people's gardens and it's going to take a village to make mm -hmm. sure that everybody sees the value of that you know when we've got our 
at the moment they're only really found on the north side east end of the island but yeah. you know if you're got property up there if you're renting properties out there imagine waking up in the morning having a coffee and there's blue iguanas in your garden it, i would love that there's a future that i hope people can see you know you'll be able to rent places and have the only place in the world you can wake up and see a blue iguana i think the future's really exciting for that so yeah. i'm hopeful that we can keep getting that message out there and get people excited by the idea, not just of the fact that the blue iguanas are here, but that in time, mm -hmm. um, people can be engaged directly on their land, on their properties with um, making sure that it's iguana friendly. Well, yeah, because we protect what we love, right? And they are the original paradise livers. They they were here before we but were. But there's ways people can help already. You don't have to wait for that day because we mm -hmm. have another initiative. See, I'm plugging all the initiatives now. Go, go, go. If you haven't heard <laughs> about it, we have a project called Blue Iguana Gardens. Okay, yes, um, I did hear about and that's that. that's really exciting. So what we're asking people to do is one of the biggest challenges we have on our conservation projects is finding enough wild food to feed the iguanas because a lot of the wild food plants they like used to grow along the beaches or grow in big open spaces. And as we all know, there's not so many of them all the time. Nope. So what we're asking people to do is to protect food plants that the iguanas like to eat. Or if you're developing, you're building, or you've got a garden, a balcony, is to grow food plants. Wow. So we'll provide lists that you can grow food plants and we'll come and sustainably pick leaves or harvest flowers to be able to feed the iguanas. Wow. So if you've got any space in a business, on land, you know, let us know and we can plant up iguana food. Even if in a few years you'll clear it for development, if it's free now, let us know, get in touch, and we can work together to access it just to get Wow. flowers and food and we've had a great response we've got over 100 gardens oh we have wow. schools that are planting things for us we have people growing hibiscus flowers on their balcony you know all, which feeds our hatchlings everybody's involved so and the great advantage as well is all the things on the list predominantly are native so not only you're going to help blue iguanas but you can help butterflies you're going to help it's a knock-on effect and of some of the plants the iguanas like are also struggling and endangered and not around as much so it's a really nice synergy that everything helps everything so there's tons of ways to get involved in all exactly. these little projects. So if you are interested, you can really make a difference without having to be directly involved with the iguanas. Well, exactly. So many people get overwhelmed with all the things that need to be fixed in the world. And there's but still a lot of space here, you know, and um, if you can't stop development, we can work together. So if areas mm -hmm. are going to be cleared or people are going to develop, these are ways you can give back. So, yep, you can develop, but while you're developing, why not plant some trees and plants that make the place look pretty, but also help feed the blue iguanas. What more could you win. ask for? Really, it's not. It's a win-win for everyone. Okay, so just to finish off here, uh, could you give us one thing about the blue iguanas that you don't think many people know? Like one cool fun fact about blues that you don't think many people know or think about? Sorry, on the spot. <laughs> yeah, it is on the spot. Um, what would be a cool fact? Um, <laughs> You're a cool guy. you got cool facts. Yeah, I always think the fact that they climb seems to surprise most people. So a lot of people describe the difference between a green iguana and a blue iguana is that you'll find a green iguana in the trees. But the blue iguanas are actually really good climbers. Hmm. As babies, they spend a lot of time in the trees to protect themselves oh, from really? predation. So they have one natural predator. They came in race of snakes. And if they're up in trees, they sleep up there. They tend to be safer from them. Um, but even the adults are really good at climbing not so good at getting down um oh. quite un, quite <laughs> undelicate with falling down but um they're absolutely fine so yeah i think it's a cool little fact it's not that mind-blowing um and then i think the other most common fact is that blue iguanas aren't always blue and yeah. people always come along and they're like where are the blue iguanas but being out to firms they very much rely on the temperature to warm up so mm -hmm. quite often if you come on an overcast a rainy day or just if you're an eager iguana fan and come bang on opening at nine often the iguanas are just getting up so when they first wake up they're often a dark skin color because dark skin color absorbs heat faster mm -hmm. so the iguanas are dark in color and then they brighten themselves up 
Oh my gosh. And when they're babies, they're not blue as well because being bright blue would be a daft idea if you want to hide from a predator. So they're a better color to blend in. Wow. But I think they're two cool facts that people don't realize is um, that, yeah, the iguanas get blue when they're warm and fed and happy in a day and that they spend a lot of time in the trees. They can climb quite well, even as adults. Wow. Okay. There's so much to learn about these guys. So I'm going to come and be volunteering shortly because I have so much to learn about them. I think everybody else listening probably has a lot to learn about them. And I think ah, there's, I, I could talk to you forever about this, but this is such a remarkable story and it really highlights the power of conservation. And it's wonderful that K-Man can say that we have that and that we've been able to save them and will continue to save them with people like yourself. So thank you, Luke. And thank you so much to your incredible team, because I know I've met a few of them and they're amazing, amazing people that care so much, so much for our environment and for blues themselves. So through the years, it has really just shown us like what we what we can achieve. So let us know where we can find out more. I know if you type in Blue Iguana on Google, it takes you to the National Trust where you can go there. You have a Facebook page. Yeah, so you can go to the National Trust website um, or follow us on Facebook. So it's at Blue Iguana Conservation. We're on Facebook and we're on Instagram. Okay. They're the easiest ways to follow us and the social media pages are really active. You can play Spot on Iguana on a Thursday, Blue Iguana Monday. Blue Mondays are the greatest thing ever. <laughs> you can wake up to a Blue Iguana picture. What more could you want? Um, it's a fun and all our updates on our projects and any exciting news like today will all kind of be on there so you can keep up to date. Thank you so much for coming in today, Luke, and thank you for being so passionate. Honestly, it shines through to everybody, and it'll shine through this microphone and that camera, and we cannot wait for more people to hear about this. And for podcast listeners, you can re-listen to this show uh, on any of our streaming platforms and newly on YouTube with recorded episodes, thanks to Retrospect Media and my friend Ryan. Um, so thank you again to Bobo89.1 and DMS for having us. Remember, you cannot care if you don't know, just like you can't care if you don't know how brilliant those blue iguanas are. So, toodles! Toodles!